Amen. Hosea, the book of Hosea, and this is part of our Timeless Testament series, and we're titling this message, God the Good Husband, uh, or we can also title it, Divorcing God. Divorcing God the Good Husband. Uh, how, did you know that uh, courtroom drama is a film genre today? Courtroom drama. How many people like watching courtroom dramas? Anybody? We don't even know what I'm talking about. How many people, maybe you liked, uh, uh, maybe there was a few people who liked A Few Good Men. Maybe you liked, uh, how many people like Law and Order? People watch Law and Order. Uh, or how many people grew up watching Matlock? Anybody Matlock fans growing up? How many people remember that show, The People's Court? The People's Court. I grew up with my grandma. I, my grandma helped raise me. And every day after I watch I Love Lucy and all those good shows, you're right, Heat of the Night and I Love Lucy, she would watch The People's Court. And I remember that uh, People's Court. But you know, the, most people today probably understand this one. How about Judge Judy? Any Judge Judy fans? Uh, I have not got into that. But do you know that Judy became a three-time Emmy Award winner for that show? It earned the highest-rated daytime TV show from 1998 to 2001, then again later on. And today, Judge Judy is the longest-lasting production of any court show in history, and it's in its 23rd season. I find that hard to believe, but it's true, says Wikipedia, if that means anything, right? But uh, America, for, for one thing, what you see by that is America loves courtroom drama. We like cop shows and judge shows and, and even uh, fake reality family drama shows, you know, in a courtroom. Uh, and the book of Hosea uh, is set in a show like this. So today, let's just pretend we're going to be watching a daytime TV courtroom drama, and it's called the book of Hosea. And it's not just about uh, Hosea and his wife, but it's really about this courtroom drama between God and his people. All right, so if you get, got your Bibles in the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 1, uh, let me just kind of get you the background here, okay? So for years, uh, God has graciously sent prophets to warn the northern kingdom of Israel, all right? The kingdom of Israel has split ten tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, and specifically, here we are in the ten northern tribes in the north. And they've continued to go towards destruction. Uh, they've become this powerful, wealthy, and luxurious nation despite all their pagan idolatry. But here's what's going on. In this day, the rich have begun to prey on the poor. Poverty and class society. There's a lot of rich people, a lot of poor people, no middle class. The courts are giving no justice. Religious leaders are being paid off for bribes. They're corrupt. There's no holiness in the temple of God. Families are falling apart. Divorce is on a rampant rate. There's even prostitution and idolatry in the land. People are uh, made up all these Baal uh, worship centers. And you can even, one of the ways to appease Baal is to go have relations with a prostitute. And that would increase your chances of that God blessing you. Uh, this is really pagan stuff, really evil and vile stuff is flooding the land. Not only that, there's been political assassinations. There's a looming economic crisis. Even though they're in a big boom, they're kind of in this economic crisis. And little did they know, they were on the verge of collapse. I don't know if that sounds like a nation to you that you know or not, but everything seems to be going good, but little did they know they were on the verge of collapse because of all the idolatry in the land and all the problems that they're seeing, despite all the good things, all these problems that the, uh, these prophets have been warning for years, 
the reason there are issues is not a political reason. It's not about who you get in that office or what priest is leading the way. It's that you and I, this nation, Hosea is saying, are no longer faithful to God. That this nation has backslidden into idolatry. And so here's what happens in a day like that. Actually, I don't think it's a day much different than what we're living in today. But it was a day like that that this book is set. And God raises up a man named Hosea. And Hosea is about to be an illustrated sermon for the nation of Israel and for you and me, the people of God today. So God comes to Hosea and he says, Hosea, I got a challenge for you, buddy. I want you to go and marry a prostitute. Now, that would have caught me off guard right there from the very beginning. But that was Hosea's a more faith-filled man than I am. And so I would have been like checking that word, obviously, and going to, you know, different people. Hey, this doesn't seem like something God would ever say, but apparently it was. So God says, hey, uh, Hosea, go marry a prostitute. I'm going to do something through this relationship. And so he goes and he finds, I don't know if he went through the streets or whatever, he went to Bourbon Street or French Quarters or whatever he did, but he found a woman. Her name was Gomer. And he goes and he finds this woman, and they get married, and they actually fall in love. Hosea begins, begins to love this woman, and he makes her the wife of a prophet. He takes her from the pit. Uh, let's just, again, let's put it in real world. He takes her from the pit of the French Quarter, and he brings her, and he sanctifies her, and marries her, puts a ring on her finger, changes her wardrobe and her outfit, makes her a woman of God. And she comes into his house, and she accepts this, this position. And his name means, Hosea, his name actually means salvation or deliverance of God. And so he goes and God says, hey, love her, have some kids with her. So he marries Gomer and they have a son. And the, God names this first son Jezreel. It's a prophetic name. And the place of Jezreel is what we would know today as the Valley of Armageddon. And God said, name your first kid Jezreel because it means God is going to scatter. It means that because of this, uh, your, your uh, king, he has done some murders in the valley of Jezreel. And actually, I'm going to judge the whole nation in that valley. And they're going to be scattered. These ten tribes are going to be lost if they don't repent. So name your first kid Jezreel. God's going to scatter because the judgment's coming to Israel in the valley of Jezreel. So he names the first one a prophetic name. And then again, Gomer soon becomes pregnant. And she has a little girl. But here's the deal. Hosea was pretty suspicious. He didn't think it was his kid. You know, maybe he didn't have red hair and the kid had red hair. I don't know how he knew, but he knew it wasn't his kid. So somehow or another, she, had, she got pregnant by another man. And they have a little girl. And God prophetically says, Hosea, I want you to name this child. This child's name is going to be Lo-Ruhama, means not loved. I don't love this kid. Wouldn't you just hate to have, would you grew up in your life and your dad called you, you're just not loved. <laughs> I mean, this is a messed up family to begin with, but here we go, we're naming the kids not loved. So he says, name this kid not loved. And so Hosea does, because the Lord, I mean, if he can believe God to marry a prostitute, he can believe God to marry kids, uh, to say kids' names. So he, he says, this kid is not loved. And again, Gomer gets pregnant. And again, Hosea's pretty sure it's not his kid. And so she gets pregnant, and now she has a son again, not Hosea's kid. And again, God says to Hosea, name him Lo-Ami, meaning not my people or not my kid, not my child. That just be, again, horrible name. And so he says this is because 
God is saying to Hosea, he says, name the first one Jezreel. I'm going to scatter them and judge them. Name the second one not loved because I'm no longer going to show love to Israel because they've played this harlot with me. And name the third one not my people because Israel is eventually going to be not my people and I'm not their God. So here's this guy. He's taken in this prostitute. He's put uh, robes of righteousness on her. He's given her a home, a place to stay, food. He's provided for her. He's changed her condition, her position. And he's had a kid with her, and they've fallen in love, and he's loving her. And yet still, she goes after many lovers. So Jose, what does he do? He puts her out on the street. She's running the streets. He changes the locks on the door, uh, and he says, okay, that's it. We're done. You're, you're not my wife anymore. I'm not your husband anymore. And one day, Hosea hears that she has been taken as a slave. She has sold herself so many times she can't pay her debts, and somebody has taken her to be a slave. And God speaks to Hosea again. No doubt Hosea was uh, just turning inside of himself. Here's this, the, the wife of the kid that is his, and it's the mother of his son, and you know he's loved her. And so God speaks to Hosea, and he says, Hosea, go and buy back your wife, even though she's an adulteress. Go buy her back even though she committed adultery. So Hosea goes, he obeys the voice of the Lord, and he buys her back for half price. That just sounds bad, right? He buys his wife back for half price. A slave was like 30 shekels. He buys her back for 15 because she was worthless. Even to the people in the market. Here is a woman who had no value. She had been run around. She had been used by every guy in town. And she was worthless. They didn't even sell her for full price. And Hosea buys her back. And he tells Gomer, he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. But I can't have you acting this way. You can come back into my house. But the only way you're going to do that is for a season you're going to be chased. I'll put that ring on your finger. You're going to move in. We're going to sleep in separate bedrooms. And neither you and I are going to touch each other. And you're not going to go out and sneak around anymore. And if you go through that season and I see you've changed, then I will marry you again. And it will be forever. Now, here we are. We are in this. Can you imagine? There's Judge Judy in the background. Hosea's saying this. And Gomer's over here. And, you know, I can just picture just in today's world. Just think about it. If you had a single pastor who told you he's going to the... God said, go to the French Quarter and get a woman. Now, one of that day would be the last day he would ever be in office in this job, right? Uh, but he goes. He marries a girl. And he, he, he changes her to be a pastor's wife. And she goes. But yet... Somehow or another, that old life comes back, and she gets hooked on meth and crack and cocaine and drugs and parties, and she ends up having kids with other people, and they put her out of the church, and the pastor puts her out, and she finds out that she's in jail in LaSalle Parish, Louisiana, and Scott Franklin gives him a call, and he says, your wife, I've got her in jail. She's tweaked out. She's gone. She's undone. She doesn't even look like herself anymore. She's emancipated, emaciated. She, she, she's I don't even know who this person is. And God speaks to that pastor, and he goes to that parish jail. And he says, I will bail her out on one condition, that she will change her ways and will be the couple we ought to be. That is the real-life drama of this book. All right, you got the picture? Now follow me, because this, this daytime TV divorce court that we're here is what God is saying to Hosea. He's saying, Hosea... What you have, I just put you through, is what my people are putting me through. 
that I still love Israel even though she's turned, she's committed adultery with other things of this world, and even though I can legally divorce her and put her out forever, and I've got the divorce papers right here, I'm also writing her a love letter. And I want you to picture this husband on one side of this divorce court, and he's got the divorce papers in one hand, and on the other hand, he's got a love note to his bride. He's got the, he can bail her out of jail, and she could walk away free that day, and it's going to be her choice. Do I take the love note, or do I take the divorce papers? All right, so that's where we are today, and I want to see how we let this apply to us Uh, as the people of God today. This good husband is pleading with his wife to return. And if she will not return, she's about to face the consequences of her action. All right, so I'm going to give you four words today. Ignorance and intimacy and consequences and choices. Okay, so if you're writing notes, you can write those four words down as ignorance and intimacy or consequences and choices. Okay, so here's the charge. There is a charge against this person. This woman, all right, and there is ignorance is the charge. It's, it's the charge is ignorance, and God is comparing her. Look in Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. That's where we are today. Hosea chapter 2, verse 5. There's a charge against her, and it's adultery. And God is comparing Israel to Gomer, and he says this. And I'm reading from the New Living today. It says that she is a shameless prostitute. She has become pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers. I'll sell myself to them for food and water and clothing and wool and linen and olive oil and drinks. Everything she thinks she needs. She's selling herself for rent and utilities to pay the water bill. She's selling herself for drugs, for alcohol. She's selling herself. She's been selling herself to just get through life, treating her body as as useless and and as a profit making. And many other things, God is saying this the same way. What you have been doing, Israel, is the same thing. On my very altars, you have been sacrificing to the gods of this world, to Baal. On my very holy places, you have been doing that. And that's the same thing as bringing someone into our marriage bed. It's like as if I came home and I caught you, Israel, in our marriage bed, and you had another person there. And God's saying, that's what you've done to me. And he's saying, this is the case against you. This is the charge. Look at Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. He says, you broke the marriage vows. And so in anger, he's saying, you're no longer my wife. I'm no longer your husband. And he says in Hosea 4, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord, O people of Israel. The Lord has brought charges. This is divorce papers. Charges against you saying, there is no faithfulness, no kindness. And number three, no knowledge of God in your land. Now, this is very important for you to get this to the whole sermon. Okay, if you don't get this point right here, you'll miss the whole thing. He says, this is what fault I have against you is the third one. Most importantly, there is no knowledge of God in the land. You're going to see that word. If you could go through the book of Hosea and underline all the words that say knowledge or understanding, you'll really understand this book. He says, there's no knowledge. This is the charge. This is why I'm bringing you the divorce papers, because there's no knowledge. It's the same for you and I today. What God will be saying to a person who's run out on him, he's saying, there's no knowledge of you. That's the charge. There's no knowledge of me. That's the charge against you. And what does he mean by knowledge? This is a play on words. Because remember, we're in a divorce court. It's about marriage. And he says, uh, it's knowledge. If you look in Genesis, it says that Adam knew Eve, and they had a son. Okay? So you can surmise what that means, okay, adults. It means that you had an intimate relationship with a person that produced children, okay? 
And he's playing on the words of knowledge here, meaning that these two people, to know someone is to have an intimate, physical, emotional, and spiritual relationship. In the same way Adam knew Eve and they bore a son, he's saying there is no knowledge between me and you, that there is no intimacy, there is no relationship. You don't know me, you don't get me, you don't understand me, that there's nothing there. And because we don't have this intimate relationship, you don't know what I like, You don't know what I want. You don't know what I dislike. And he says, the ignorance you have of me is what led to your adultery. And it's for the sake of knowledge. He'd go on later and say, my people perish for lack of knowledge. How many people heard that verse verse before, right? My people perish for lack of knowledge. It's for a lack of knowledge. It's for a lack of an intimate relationship with God that the people of God are perishing. So he's saying this spiritual adultery is ignorance. It's an ignorance of God. You know, you can know somebody. You can know me. You might follow me on Facebook or you follow someone on Facebook and you might know them. You might know where I'm from, where I was born. You might know what kind of ice cream I like. But that doesn't mean you really know me. You understand? My wife, who I've been with since I was 16 years old, she really knows me about as good as anybody can know a person. We've been together, uh, never broke up, never been separated, and we were friends even before that, growing up in the same church. So from 16 to here, I've, I've been with her longer than I've been single, right? I've been with her almost as long as I've been alive, right? So it's, uh, I have a knowledge of her and what she likes and dislikes. We finished each other's sentences. We know what we're going to say before somebody else says it. And if she's going to slap me, I already have my hand up. No, I mean, I know her, you understand? And she knows me. And there's a knowledge there. It's an emotional knowledge, a physical knowledge, a relational knowledge, a mental knowledge. And it's more than just knowing. And you and I can have this relationship with God that is a Facebook relationship. I can know you. I can know someone. I can know facts about someone. I can know doctrine about someone. I can know theology. But yet at the same time, that doesn't mean I really know him. Are you with me this morning? He's saying that's what's led to your spiritual adultery. That's what's led to ignorance. It's that you and I as the church today, we would say we can love the world and the things in the world and think we can love God. We can go, John says, after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. It's, for instance, like this. Let me paint a picture for us in in this room today. We can trust ourselves so easy instead of trusting in His salvation. We can weep and wail to God in prayer, and then we can turn to worldly things to try to answer those prayers. God doesn't answer quick enough. We try to figure it out on our own. He says that you can, and this is the charges that he'd have even against uh, Israel in that day. He says that just like us and them, our eyes can wander. We can pursue wealth to please our wants. We can desire earthly pleasure more than the pleasure of being in the presence of God. We can think that vacation is more valuable than the presence of God. We can think about those hobbies and those boats and those material possessions. None of those are bad in themselves, but we can desire the pleasure of those things so easily more than the pleasure of being in God's Word every day, being in His Spirit every day, being in prayer every day. We can be pacified even as religious people. We can have religious pride. We can forget that really, like Gomer, we were on the streets and it's God has brought us up and we can feel good about ourselves and think we've done a pretty good job of being holy and righteous and good churchgoers, forgetting that it was God who got us out of the gutters. He says that just like Gomer and just like Israel, 
We can know all the right doctrine, but still live like the Bible doesn't apply to us. It's crazy to understand how many people are out there in the streets and even in the bars and, and just living life and can quote so many verses of Scripture. They can know a lot of things about God, but yet not really know Him. It's amazing how many unbelievers know the Bible in some sense of their knowledge. They have some sense of it, but they don't really know it. We can sing songs to God each Sunday and not ever mean it. We can act so sanctified on Sunday, but on Monday, move on. And that's exactly what Israel had done. He says to Israel in Exodus, you should have no other gods before me, no other relationships before me. In the last day's church, he says the same thing uh, in the very end of the book, Revelation 2, 4. I have this against you, this last day's church, that you have left your what? Your first love. And James says it this way in chapter 4, verse 4. He says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. You can't have a side buffet in marriage. He says, and there's so many times I've, I've counseled people and, I, and, and even good friends of mine who they thought they could have a best friend of the opposite sex. Let me tell you something, that never works. And what he says against Hosea or Tagomer and what he says against Israel here, he's that you have tried to be my friend and friends of other people too, but you can't have a best friend other than your spouse. And their spouse has to be your best friend. And he says that's the charge against the church. Even in the last days, they thought they could be a friend of God and also be a friend of the world. But he says that's spiritual adultery. So he says, do you know me? Do you know me exclusively? God is speaking to his people in Israel and to you and I today. Do you have a monogamous, exclusive relationship that is a deep, intimate relationship with God? That goes beyond head knowledge and mental knowledge and Facebook knowledge. And it's just like any marriage vow. A marriage is a legal contract. And that starts it, right? There's a legal contract part. But then there's also the list of expectations. You hope and expect that when you guys get married, you'll work out who pays the bills, how you pay them, who takes out the trash, how you pick up the kids. There's all the day-to-day stuff, right, that you have to work out. And there's that expectation. But marriage is far more than a legal contract. It's far more than household duties and working those things out. Well, that's all good. Marriage is this deep, intimate, trusting, abiding communion with another person that is selfless and sacrificial, and it's intimate. And so many Christians want to stay at the legal contract part. And then we'll get a little further, and we'll get the household duties part. I can pray, I read my Bible, I stop cussing, I stop drinking, I stop getting all the do's and don'ts right, kind of work this out, I go to church three times a week. But then we never get to the intimate knowing part. And he says what's led to your adultery, your spiritual adultery, is the fact that you just want a contract marriage, a legal marriage, or you just want to get the do's and don'ts right and the taking out the trash part in the Christian life right. But there's this intimate part, and that's the second word. He says, for ignorance, you fall into adultery. You don't know me. You don't really get me. This is what I have a case against the Old Testament Israel and the New Testament church in the last days. There's going to be a people who rise up that don't know me. He says, what I long for is intimacy. What I long for is, look in chapter 6, verse 6. He says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. There's that knowledge again. What I desire most is that you would know me. 
know me in an intimate way. And so God begins to write this love letter. And, and, and this, uh, if you read the book of Hosea, it's going to be divided between uh, divorce and it's going to be, man, it's going to be some heavy, hot, mean stuff in there. And it's also going to be with a sappy romance. So if you kind of try to split it out. But there's this longing, this drawing, and this calling. If you would look at this love letter, it's these three big words. There's a longing from God. There's a drawing from God. And there is a calling for God. Let me give you some verses just to show you what God's heart is. And I don't know if, you, if, you're, if you're married today, you've ever had that wooing part of your relationship. I'm not going to brag. I don't know where my wife, I think she's in kids' church or nursery. But I was pretty romantic as a young man. I've kind of slacked off years later, but I need to get back on that. But I was pretty romantic. Uh, I'm not going to give you the details because I'm going to give you any tips. But a pretty romantic, wooing my wife uh, as a young teenager. And God is this wooing. If I was going to title this part, it would be the wooing of God. You have a God that is willing to woo back his wife, even if she's, again, she's in the the courthouse needing to get bonded out of jail, right? Bailed out of jail. And he's he's wooing her. He says, Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, he says, Oh, how can I give you up, Israel? How can I let you go? My heart, can you hear this husband talking to this other person over here, his wife? My heart is torn within me, and my compassion overflows. Here is a a lady who has cheated on you, and she's got two kids by another man. And she's lost her mind, she's left you. And here's God, he's saying, but my heart is torn for my people. It is overflowing with compassion. And that's the longing part. Then he goes to drawing. He says, and I've tried. He says in verse, uh, chapter 11, verse 4, I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I've tried to woo them back. I've tried to gently draw them back. I think God, every day, it's the birds singing. It's the clouds. It's the little things that God is always whispering, little love notes. Every day, I love you. I want you. He's leaving little notes, Miss Georgia, everywhere we go. God is saying, hey, I'm thinking about you today. You woke up this morning and you were already on my mind. The sun was shining. The birds were singing. I did all of that for you. This whole world, the stars in the sky tonight, I made them with you in mind. And God is saying, I'm drawing them. If I could just, they could just see how much I love them. Um, this is the whole world. The whole world has left God. The whole world is uh, in jail to sin. They're bound up in their addictions. And he's saying, I'm drawing, I'm trying to draw them. And, but look what he says. I long for them. I drew them. And I tried to call them in chapter 11, verse 2. He says, but the more I called, the more they went after other lovers. What a sad story. I mean, here's this husband, God, the good father, calling to the world today. I'm yearning for you. My heart is torn within me. I'm trying to write you little love notes everywhere I think you might be. He's flyered the French Quarter, leaving little signs. Come back to me. Come back to me. I love you. I have a place prepared for you if you'll just come. But yet the more I called, I even got out into the streets And I was yelling her name, come back to me. And yet the more I called, the more she went. That is God's heart. In no other book of the Bible, I believe, is God's heart more intimately declared for his people than right here. He says, I love her even though she's an adulteress. 
I took her on her honeymoon in the wilderness, or I cared for her, I taught her how to trust me and know me, but yet she kept desiring to go back to her old ways. She gave me a lip service in the day, and she snuck it on me at night. And doesn't she know? I want her to know me more than I want her to give me burnt offerings. I don't care about good Christmas presents and good birthday presents if we don't have a relationship. You can buy me a gun and a deer stand. You can buy me purses and rings and jewelry. You can buy me a four-wheeler. You can buy all that stuff. But if there is no marriage relationship, it's pointless. If you're sneaking out on me in the middle of the night, going after some other dude, he's like, it's pointless. It's like a good husband. He's saying, I just want a relationship with you. How many times do you and I reject and snub the grace of God? He wants a relationship with us more than religion, church. Does it like this? Do we get up in the morning, we race out the door? We off to work, we go without a word of kiss to God? Maybe it's like this, we go all day long working in our lives so without so much as a text to heaven. We don't say, God, I love you. We come home from work, we're exhausted. God's over there, but we rolled to our separate side of the bed. We go to sleep without saying a word. And then we find all sorts of excuses. We've got these date nights prepared every week. Husband and wives go on a date every week. We have a date every week with God, and yet we have all these excuses why we miss Sundays. You know, I'm a little busy right now, God. I don't think we can make that date this week. That's what we do. We go to work without saying anything to God. We go throughout our day without saying anything to God. We come home, we roll to other sides of the bed, and we say, Lord, I don't know if we can make that day this week. That date, we had a date night, but we're not going to make it. James says he jealously desires his Holy Spirit, which he made to dwell in us. So he said there was ignorance and there's intimacy, and then there was consequences. God longs for us, but he's going to let us also reap what we sow. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, look there. See, there's consequences. He's putting out, he said, I mean, I long, I long for you. I got this love note here. We're in the courtroom. I leave you a love note, but I've also got these divorce papers. Here's the consequences. Here's the consequences. Hosea 4, verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. There's a lack of knowledge. And like Gomer, Israel went into exile and captivity because of her sin. And what you look at Hosea's names of his kids, and God has already laid out the consequences. He says, I'm going to scatter them. I'm going to have no more mercy. Jezreel, I'm going to scatter them. Lo, Ruhamah, I'm going to have no more mercy on them. Lo, Ami, they're no longer going to be the people of God, not my people. And he says, they don't realize. In the book of Hosea, God says, they don't realize. I'm watching them. I see all their sinful deeds. And for this reason, God says this. This is the rough part. He says, I'm going to leave her stripped naked. I'm going to leave her to die of thirst. I'm not going to love her children that she's conceived in prostitution. I'm going to fence her in with thorn bushes. I'm going to make her lose her way. She's going to plant some great harvest, but I'm going to make them too small to even feed her. This is what happens when you walk away from God, the good husband. He's like, whoa, God. Hey, now, Jesus is the rainbow God, right? Isn't he love and peace and joy? Yeah, he is. But he's also this God of perfect judgment and justice because she's guilty. And so he says, why? You think, God, why would you do that? Why would you leave this person and kick him out of the house with no clothes and and make him go to jail and you do all these horrible things? And he says it this way in chapter 2, verse 7. 
Because then she might think, I might as well return to my husband, for it was, I was better off with him than I am now. It's like the prodigal son. They had to get tired of eating slop. And every toxic relationship has to have boundaries. There has to be consequences for there to be change. There has to be rules and uh, consequences for negative words and actions. And if there's no consequences, there'll be no more change. And the Bible says in Hebrews 12 that God disciplines those he loves. For it's like this. God may not keep blessing you if you're running out on him. He may not pay the bail of your spiritual jail. He may not approve of all of your earthly works of gain. He may not cause things to work out for you in your plans. You may get to a point, and he might let you get there, to find yourself empty and alone in this life. He might let you endure some pain and some suffering and some disappointment and some defeat. Why? Because he's hoping you'll cry out to him. He's hoping you'll return to him. And he says, but if not, there's going to be a sudden day when this grace ends. He says in the Bible that those who have not repented, they will find like Hosea's children, there is no more mercy from God. They will find like Jezreel, they will be scattered and cut off. And in that last and final day, when that court case will be finished, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, I will say to them, what? Depart from me, I never knew you. You see that word again? I don't have an intimate relationship with you. We don't have an intimate relationship. There is no marriage relationship between me and you. And so they'll be cast into outer darkness and fire, separated from God. And to that last day's church, Jesus is saying still again, Revelation 2, 5, remember where you have fallen, church. Repent. Do the deeds that you did at first, or else I'm coming to you, and I will remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. So there's ignorance, but intimacy. And there are consequences for our decisions of sin. But there is this great choice that you and I have today from a good, good father, a good husband. And this is the choices you have today. The good husband, he has got his wife there. He's got the divorce papers in one hand, the wooing, the love letter in the, uh, in the other hand, and he's given her two options. He's saying to Gomer, he's saying to Israel, he's saying to you and I today, you can either continue to be a slave or I can purchase you as my bride. Either way, you can be a slave and be owned by this world or you can be purchased and redeemed by me. And then he says this, there's this period of engagement, and I'm going to do this. There's this time of waiting till that final marriage day, this engagement process. I will put the ring on your finger. We will be engaged for a period, and during that engagement, during that waiting period, I will see if you really, truly love me, and then we'll be married. You see, there was a day when Jesus Christ did the same exact thing. He came to earth to redeem us from the pit. We were lost in the bondage of sin. The devil had the keys to our jail. Jesus came with the bond and he said, I've got two choices for you. You can be divorced or you can be purchased again. And I'm going to put a ring on your finger. And for a season, church, you're going to be without me. We're not going to be fully intimate like on that marriage day. And during that season of waiting,
waiting till I come back again. And if you can say, yes, Lord, I love you more than anything. Yeah, I'll come back and I'm taking you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's going to be no more separation after that day. You have a good God who not only has done that, but in that season of waiting. How many people ever wrote? Did you, anybody write their vows for their wedding day? Some of you guys are very wordy. Most people, we're like, oh, I can't even speak in public, right? Uh, so we let the pastor do it, right? But God, and he did for Gomer and what he did for Israel, he wrote his woo note, his love letter, right? Drawing and long and calling. But he gave her also his vows, right? And Hosea, he says this, I'm going to heal you of your faithlessness. You're going to know a love with no bounds. I'm going to transform your valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I'm going to adopt all of your children. And he says, those I said were scattered, Jezreel, I'm going to call united. And he says, those that I called, they're not loved, I'm going to show them love. He says, those that were before not my people, I'm going to make them my people. I'm going to undo everything you did. I will undo it. I'll make all things new. And he says in Hosea chapter 2, verse 19, I will make you my wife. He's talking to his church now that is going to be with him on that marriage supper of the Lamb that have proven their love to him. He says, I will make you my wife forever. I will show you righteousness and justice and unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you. I will make you mine. And you will finally, get this, know me as the Lord. There is coming a day if you will just make the choice to love God and know Him in this season of waiting. His vows are written. He says, there's coming a day. You're going to know me like you've never known me before. You might know me now, but you'll really know me then. That's going to be a good day, church. We're going to know God in a more intimate way. And so he's written his vows. What about yours? What vows could you write God today? He can heal your broken seasons. He can rewrite, rewrite your troubled past. He can transform your wandering heart. He can remove your chains of sin. This good husband, is he a God that you're going to say, I do? Yes, God, I do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. I want you to look at this. Because God... Gave you some help. Some of us need some help writing these vows, right? Hosea chapter 6, verse 1, is a sample template for you and for me to write our vows back to God, okay? And I've got it on the screen here for you. He says this, what our hearts should be. If you want to say, I do to God today, it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He's torn us to pieces, but now He will heal us. He's injured us. Now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, church, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Verse 3. Oh, that we might know the Lord. Let us press on to know him. He will respond as surely as the coming of the dawn, as the coming of rains and early spring. You see... There is an assurity, it says, that if you would call on the Lord in the midst of our bondage, if we say, yes, God, 
I want to say I do to you. I really, really want to know you. I am tired of my sin. I'm worn out by this life of sin. Even though many of us may even be in church going. We may be Christians. We may have gotten to that place, though, where our relationship with God has been stagnant. It's been a contract. It's been a to-do list. But there's no intimacy there. There's no fellowship. There's no daily wooing of God. He says, oh, let us return to the Lord that we might press on to know him. And if we do, his mercy is new every morning. He will come like the dawn. Oh, that we would know the Lord. His mercies are new. What a God. What a God that would take you and me. See, we're Gomer. We're the prostitute in this story. We have so walked out on God so many times. We've tried to make it right and then we can't. We keep going after things. Our eyes wander in this world. But if we say, yes, God, I see your vows, I do. I want to know the Lord more and more. How about you today? You want to know him more and more and more? That relationship, that marriage can get stagnant if you don't keep it moving. I want to know him. I want to know him. I want to know him. And God, I thank you today for saving me from my sin. I thank you today. Lord, that we can come back to you even though we walk out on you time and again. You are a good, good husband. Father, that we might know you. You have a choice today. Take the vows or take the divorce. You take those vows. You say, yes, God, I want to know you. Jesus says you would love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. Love him. Know him.